Good evening. Swami Kriyananda first wrote the peace treaty when he was 15 years old. At that time, it was three pages long, and it was not a very positive ending. He rewrote it again in 1990. This time, it was three acts long, 22 characters, and a very uplifting ending. And what you'll see tonight is just a glimmer of that play. And as he told me, Devaki, when I wrote that play, I was on Crystal Island. Tonight, what you'll see, as I mentioned, is just a glimmer of that play. We'll have two set changes. And I'm just sure if you all think back in your minds, somewhere, somehow, you know yourself that there's an island, Crystal Island, this little-known place is called. It is a haven of peace and beauty, and it is loved and nurtured by the crystals that are found there. Each crystal represents a portion of the island and the people that live there, and they're called clans. And the crystals, when used properly, can draw out the higher aspirations, the lofty and inspired ideas, a universal and a divine consciousness, creating a joyful and peaceful existence. But alas, the clans have yet to learn the virtues offered to them by the crystals. Many of their members pride themselves, as those in the world we know do, on their own characteristics. They tend to view their clan as the best clan of all. Each clan wears a special color, and it is reflected by their crystal. And they wear these colors as we ourselves wear different colored skins. Each clan has a special talent, too, as many nations have. There's Clan Emerald who specializes in dance. Emerald clan members dress in green. They try, not always with success, but to be graceful in their movements, to dance. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Some of them better than others. There's clan Topaz. Now, Topaz specializes in song, and its members dress, as its name suggests, in yellow. Some of them sing well. And others, well, not so well. They are simply people, after all, like you and me. There's Clan Azure, which specializes in poetry. Now, Azure dresses in blue, and the members of Clan Azure, they try their best, it's a cultural thing with them, to speak poetically. Oh, upward, climb the living tree. Hark to the cosmic symphony. <sighs> There's Clan Ruby, which specializes in merriment and dresses in red. Well, these rubies, they enjoy humor. They tell jokes and they laugh a lot. And of course, human nature being what it is, there are many kinds of humor, depending on a person's nature, from kindly laughter to jeering mockery and cutting sarcasm. 
finally, there's Clan Amethyst, whose members' predilection is for philosophy. They wear the color purple. Their philosophizing displays again the wide variety of human nature, from a deep desire to know truth to mere guile, from clever rationalizations to the clumsiest of self-justification. I'm self-concerned, not self-involved. Well, as you can see, no clan is perfect in itself. In fact, you and I know that these qualities need to be combined and the colors need to be intertwined for the full potential of human perfection to be attained. Many of the clans pride themselves on their own special interests. Each clan, of course, tends to view their clan as the best clan of all. This play brings correction to that narrowness of vision in the way that fate itself often brings lessons to us all. Our play opens at the end of a war. Some time ago, Clan Azure invaded Clan Topaz. The other three clans, recognizing the invasion as a threat to their own safety too, joined Clan Topaz against the invaders. The leader of the allied clans, a brilliant officer of Clan Topaz, was Lord Kristar. The Allies were victorious. Clan Azure was defeated. And a celebration rang throughout the island. Free at last from dire oppression, free from armies shouting hate. Free at last from brute aggression, free a new life to create. Let us now hands join together, blessed with peace our native isle. Bless our fields of flowering heaven, may all hearts be free from guile. Let us build new lives in beauty, let the grass wave full and green. Let peace be our highest duty, joy in every ivy seen. Free at last from dire oppression, free from armies shouting hate. Free at last from brute aggression, free a new life to create. Hooray! Our clans fought bravely, all of them. Yes! Yay! Only at the day's end, with the capture of Stolar, their ambitious lord, did the melee dwindle. Before it even ceased, our allied clans, outraged at the moral stench of his foul crimes, yeah, right. cried That's out, right. let the monster pay in blood for the suffering he has right. so callously Indeed. inflicted. Yes. Yes. At that very sight, his evil head was stricken from its sin-bloated body. And then his soldiers knelt, laid down their arms, and trembling, pleaded for mercy on themselves and on their vanquished clan. Joyful day! Down with the azure devils! Let us not cry for vengeance. Stolar's dead, but was it his people who incited him to conquest? His was the sin, surely. His in that posturing pack that fawned on him like jackals, eager for whatever carcass he might fling their way. 
Good friends, now that this war has been won, let us turn our energies not to vengeance, but to bringing a lasting peace to our poor, battered yeah. Crystal Island. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But my lord, should not Clan Azure pay dearly for the great wrongs they've perpetrated on us? Vengeance alone might be a pointless waste, but many bards in our clan's long, glorious past counsel due punishment as protection against the threat to future harm. <laughs> you thought you could escape me, didn't you, spy? Intruder. <laughs> My lord, I meant to kill this Azure, this beast, but finding you here, I will, needless to say, sir, now pass my vengeance over to your judgment. Shall we uh, edify these good people here by striking off his head oh. right now? Oh. <laughs> hey. Or is it your uh, exalted wish that the opportunity be carried out in greater uh, privacy? Hmm? <laughs> My mother, rest her, used to say of opportunity that it's like dessert. Better grab it quick, before someone else gets their muckers on it. <laughs> to quote another's mother in such a cause might seem a blasphemy. Your mother, however, seems qualified to pass as an exception. <laughs> was it to preserve the peace of such homes as yours that this war was fought? Release that man. But sir, this is our enemy! Our enemies were defeated yesterday on the field of battle. Their hopes of conquest and their festering dreams of grandeur died with their defeat. What are they now but people simply like you and me? We have no enemies. But my lord, this man has boldly trespassed on our territory. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what evil he may have been plotting? Right. Revenge, perhaps, against your sacred person? Exactly. He may imagine his azure cause is not so completely destroyed as you, sir, and we, I might add, believe. Such a thing did happen once, centuries ago. One of our ancient bards Forgive sang. me, friend, if I interrupt you. It isn't hatred that I behold in this man's searching gaze. Some other thought steeled him to the courage it required to brave the roving bands of soldiers who today go shouting through these woods, drunk with the wine of victory. Boy, come closer. Beware, my lord! Careful, dear. I've offered you mercy. Will you give these people just cause to say later that hard justice would have been the better course? My lord, I ask no mercy from your hands. Mercy is sought by weaklings and cowards, and by those whose lives are forfeit for their crimes. I am no weakling, nor am I afraid. My life is not forfeit for any wrong I've done. I fought for Stolar because he made me do so. But his cause was not my cause, nor were his crimes my own. My heart and mind are pure in the cause of truth, and truth shall live on even though my body die. In that truth, my lord, not in this frail form, have I my immortality. Bravely spoken. Oh. And will all of you say that this man must die merely because the tunic that he wears is blue? No. Yesterday, on the field of battle, as Stolar's body lay stretched out before us like the shadows of late afternoon that spread, lengthened on the cool earth, I thought, Hated he was, truly, he was. and with cause. Yes. Yet now that his ruthless schemes have disintegrated in death's indifference, 
and tyrannical ambition has been quenched like straw fire in a driving rain. What is left before me but simply the finished story of a man? Mm -hmm. Well spoken. Already his deeds are only memories. If they live on, it will be to the extent that we give them nourishment. Indeed. And with the nourishing, risk contamination. Oh. For bad memories, like a pestilence, infect yeah. the mind that harbors them. Hmm. Stolar must answer for his sins to a tribunal higher than our own. Yes! yes. Meanwhile, what of us? Shall we live on in hatred? Oh. And if so, will not his spirit have vanquished us after all? Yes. Our duty is to ourselves, yes. to the yes. peace yes. of our yes. own conscience. Yes. Let us forgive. <laughs> Young man, go with my pardon and with that of our united clans. You are free. No! My lord, I wonder to find in you such kindness. Nobility of spirit is more to be praised than the mitre dignity of priests. Had my people but known with whom it was we fought, I'm certain they'd have risen against Stolar in a tidal wave of fury that would have overwhelmed him and his hated minions. Stolar! <gasps> Oriel! Oriel! She's in danger! Oh, what is she doing? I've come in time! Oh, Mary. oh my lord, Lord Christar, save him! He's not guilty! Starlight is innocent as a crystal stream. Nothing he's done could deserve punishment. Starlight, when I'd heard you come, foolish boy, you might have waited until times were... But when I'd heard you come and were discovered and had had to flee, my beloved, I never believed you'd be killed. For again and again, I, I offered my own life in forfeit for yours. So, my Lord Christar, calmly I say it. If this man must die, then, then tear its dead life out of this my then useless body, for my life is the same as that which bound so bravely through the veins of Starlord's far worthier form. Peace, daughter. Calm yourself. Who speaks of death? I just promised him his life. Well, there you are. Let not the gusts of passion blind you to the chances of a new reality. Starlon, I learn his name only now from you, is free to return to his no. native land. No! no. He's a criminal. He should be put in prison. He must, however, leave at once. He belongs no. in For there seems to be, as if pent up in the sky above, a lightning charge, trembling with the urge to hurl new blazing bolts of violence down upon the cowering earth. Go, my son. Once more I say it. You are free. No. No. Sir, I am moved by your generosity. Oriel, my love, my visit here hasn't been in vain. Sir, we meet now for the first time since before the war. The joy of seeing once again your lovely smile. Sir, I am... Your nobility has restored my faith in the future of Crystal Island. Dearest, how could I rest without seeing you again as soon as possible? Every day in battle was for me a dream from which I hoped at any moment to awake, to behold you, to hear your voice, to tell you, dearest, a thousand, thousand times, I am yours forever. Oriel! What shocking news is this? What of you, our only daughter, born in our aristocratic line? to do with this common soldier, yeah. this 
enemy. Yeah. This furtive runaway. Yeah. This fugitive. Yeah. Young man, tell me, what sort of parents have you? Okay. I have no parents. My father and mother, forever adored by me, were slain by Stolar's minions. There you have it, Oriel. An orphan. <laughs> this wretch's life has been pardoned, but never, I promise you, will I nor your proud father pardon him, his insolent presumption, his bold claim to your affection. My daughter, you have a duty, not only to your people, but to your rightful class. You, like all of us, must uphold the values which tradition, carved patiently over the centuries as in rock, has hallowed. As Dalmi and our ancient bard proclaimed, that man alone is fit for high position, who can accept it with calm and unaffected ease, who breathes no sigh of envy for those above him, nor courts close friendship with anyone below, who accepts his state as naturally as all of us accept our present age in life. <gasps> the bondage of a stagnant past. Oriel! Isn't principle more important than position? Isn't fresh insight more vital than tired habit? We are men and women made of flesh and blood, not wooden chessmen merely standing stiffly on a checkered board. Daughter! No, I'll speak. It is divinely right for us to live our lives as we ourselves believe most deeply, never as others would serenely move us, <laughs> left, right, diagonally, up, down. Shall we accept their bad judgment for us as our fate? Really, yeah. Their wisdom, not our own, is our good Maybe fortune. We'll and their the defeat or victory on our behalf is our finalities? Damien wrote also of obedience. It is a virtue, he said, no, that no, sons and daughters. Me, dear father, dearest mother, you know I love you both. Oh. My true desire is to obey you, but... Oh. What is obedience if living by it one merely dulls his faculties? Well, My obedience to you, now that I have grown to womanhood, is to the truth that I perceive in you. But never forgive me to the error. The oh. error? Daughter, do you dare? Friends, dear friends, now was not the time, nor is it the place for controversy. Wars clash in agony have ended. Shall we the very next day make war again? Let the passions of our recent past burn low when peace reigns supreme over this our island home and over our war-ravaged hearts. Then let us each decide, in calmness, on the course best to follow in our lives. This star is faced with a dilemma. He and others fear that unless peace is established between the clans of Crystal Island, beautiful and vibrant, it will be destroyed, along with its inhabitants. In an attempt to instill peace, Kristar offers a proposal to the lords of the allied clans in the form of a peace treaty. Isn't that how so many nations try to settle these matters? 
alas, pride, prejudice, vengefulness, selfishness, and all the dreary catalog of human failings intervene to prevent genuine acceptance of this noble proposal. Well met, Lord Kovar. Lady Volta, greetings and welcome. <laughs> In all this wide star-witnessed world, there can be no greater fulfillment than the pleasure of sharing with you, Lord Kovar, this historic occasion. The plan as I understand it, is to contemplate some new type of peace treaty. Some new type of peace treaty. One based on... <laughs> Cooperation. <laughs> A curious concept. Yet, one that I hasten to add I'm all for. With the very small proviso that prime attention be given to that which is one's own by right. <laughs> At last we meet together. What an auspicious hour. Could anyone have hoped mere days ago that ours would be the victory and ours then the peace? Lord Kovar, it is a joy to see you. Lady Voltar, I am honored. Lord Loftar, I called ahead to you as we arrived, but you didn't hear me. I heard. Seemed to me, however, that a separate entrance would be grander for Lord Christar, the great convener of today's conference. Why? Are we not equals? <laughs> there speaks our great commander-in-chief. <laughs> Condescension comes naturally to one accustomed to being in command. Loftar, brother! Who would denigrate the altruistic motives of our noble Christar? Let us not begin this auspicious day with dark suspicions. Don't misunderstand me, please. I'm aware that Lord Christar's victory is worthy of the highest respect. As testimony to his outstanding, uh, <laughs> cleverness. Yet, the cleverness in the ruling of a clan is very different from that cleverness which is required to win a war. <laughs> no doubt you are right. Though speaking for myself, I prefer always to be led by truth. It has not been my way to rule by cleverness. Hear me, my friends. I know that once you've heard my plan, any doubts which may have troubled you these days will be laid to rest. You'll be wonderstruck, all of you, as I was when first this concept came to me. You'll recognize its beauty, its simplicity, its promise of a golden age to come. My brother, shall we sit? It is the honor of Clan Amethyst that these uh, suggestions, may I call them, be presented in our hallowed forum. What you'll hear, my brother, are not suggestions merely, but a solution to the problems that for centuries have plagued our clans. Clan Emerald has always wished that its neighbors saw matters with clear vision, as you propose. Our clans, for centuries, have fed on rivalry. Our very national anthems proudly boast a gory victory over unnamed enemies. Yet, who are those enemies? Those very clans, four in number, whom destiny has brought to share with us this fair crystal island. Proudly, we've vaunted every clan our own 
unique superiority. Clan Topaz sings. None others sing so well. So what have our people done? They've declared all others to be less meritorious than they. Clan Emerald dances. Others can't dance so well. Your patriots, Lady Voltar, have therefore proclaimed that yours outshines in virtue every other clan. My friends, cannot we look upon each clan as the bearer of some special offering to enrich the banquet of our shared existence here on Crystal Island? Wise words. Magnificent. Your idea is very much like the one that I've always held, namely that the other clans are forever to be grateful to us. <laughs> this island is green. Oh, green surely is nature's favorite color, just as dance is her true mode of self-expression. Oh, you see how she vacillates the meadow grasses, agitates the trees, and nods proudly in the flowers. <clears throat> You've given us the image of a banquet. May we dare hope that this banquet of yours would be one in which the food has a certain substance, not a mere feast of words? Obviously, Lord Chrysler has thought deeply about these ideas he's submitting to us. Dear brother, do speak on. There is pleasure in the very whisper of philosophical concepts. The more abstract, always the better. I have a treaty written, which I'll submit hereafter to your judgment. My friends, all that I ask is that you open your hearts to the realities of others. If what I say appeals to you, accept it not. I plead with you as mine, but as the herald of a long-awaited truth. My friends, reflect. Could he have won this war with the rusty armory of idle schemes? It was not he alone who won the war. Let us not forget the contributions we all made, Clan Emerald especially. A plant may overlook that it owes its existence to the soil from which it sprang. But you, Lord Christar, are no such prideful plant. Your motives, it's well known, are pure. In any case, the issue is not how you won the war, but how we should proceed to carve the peace. Carve? <laughs> what a great image to compare with that of a banquet, huh? <laughs> <clears throat> have you thought, Christar, how we should treat Clan Azure now that their offensive ambitions have been silenced? Hmm? A vital question. For cooperation, too, must have some goal, the bonding agent of a, a reasonable purpose. I know our traditions, how they hold that war gives the victor rights of spoil and recompense. But look back through the twisting lanes of history, how every vanquished clan, brooding on its shame, merely bided its time. Then when stability returned to it once more, when crops were plentiful and shops were crowded with rich merchandise... The strengthened indices of a healthy commerce inspired the courage to hazard a revenge. Once again, the blood of young men soaked our battlefields, fields which in peacetime had been fertile meadows, homes. Their every brick laid lovingly, collapsed in ruin, like so many homes before them. Women and children, defenseless, died in agony. Isn't the message clear? History has proved that vengeance is an idiot's satisfaction. Prosperity will be ours only if, instead of claiming damages, we extend the hand of friendship and cooperation to all our enemies as well. Are you saying 
we should not claim what is ours by ancient right? Oh, this surely is no reasonable purpose. I shall be the first to renounce my own claims. Indeed, these claims were never ours by right. <laughs> oh, a cage constructed by the Burnham residence had better be checked twice for hidden doors. <laughs> Lord Loftar, your famed wit is welcome. Check what I say I beg you for hidden doors. Tell us, Lord Crystal, what is your plan for a lasting peace? I've spelled it out on paper, which I'll distribute later for your study. The strength of this plan, however, is more in the change of consciousness for which it calls. First, I would ask that you absorb its essence. For the important thing is that we agree in principle that our clans try henceforth to live by the consciousness of peace and fellowship, not merely by the letter of the written treaty. My plan is that we, we embrace one another in a spirit of goodwill, that we treat our island home as we do our own villages, with the same love, with the same sense of stewardship. I see. So your proposal, whatever our apprehensions until now, is after all quite simple. I'm sure it will prove acceptable. But don't you think... No, no. Why should we think at all? Lord Christar has spelled it out for us in principle. Whatever it contains that seems impractical will no doubt find address in the formal peace treaty he's proposing. Meanwhile, I think we may say with certainty that we all embrace his peace treaty in principle. Uh, <laughs> forgive me, but wouldn't our endorsement in principle seem rather like a purveyor of wonder medicines beginning his presentation with the word, frankly? I see neither expression is prejudicial. Human intercourse would be but an empty husk if it were not at least for affirmations of goodwill. My friends, my dear friends, I repeat, I see no reason not to accept this plan in principle. Naturally, we must see it spelled out in more detail in the treaty that our Lord Christar has brought for us to study. Meanwhile, surely the sentiments he's expressed are excellent. I'm thrilled to receive your support. Lord Christar, I would not have you... I would not have you think that I would do anything that all three of us did not agree on. Tomorrow, we'll all sign the PD. We'll, we'll meet together and we'll all sign the treaty that will bind our clans to peace. We'll see. The influence of this foolish glee was such that it seemed wiser for the moment to submit. But the centuries have their influence too. And fixed tradition, contained like a vapor within these ancient columns, will surely chloroform this presumption of excessive novelty. Waves can be mastered best by those who go with them. Rise when they rise, and ride with the rolling crest. Sardok, why are you here? My brother-in-law, on this important occasion, I knew that you would want me by your side. What for? Why, why I'm noted, I think, for a certain philosophic skill, 
a talent which may be useful to you during the day's deliberation. You self-involved... You philosophize your wife, my sister, into an early grave. It is not my pleasure to have you so treat this conference. Return to your home. My lord, I predict disaster. Go home. <laughs> I'm self-concerned, not self-involved. How can a person be light-hearted when the whole world is after snatch from him all it can? Self-interest, I always say, is nothing but self-honesty. Concern for one's fellow man is a cowardly sham, an underhanded means of getting one's own way. Cooperation, I always say, is compromise made by the weak-hearted. And if caring for myself makes me somber sometimes, well, a little somber, that's because it is no easy task fending off the self-serving demands people make of one. Yes, and that's something else I always say to those who are eager to study my philosophy. Self-interest is good when it concerns one's own needs. By definition, therefore, it is bad when it concerns the needs of Others. Over here, darling. Oh. Oh. My hair. <laughs> kind sir. You don't know me. By what presumption do you call me kind? I'm sorry. This is not an occasion for sorrow. And I'd like to make it clear that kindness is completely foreign to any sound philosophy. Oh, I'm sure you're very kind, sir. Really, if you weren't well-meaning, you wouldn't announce your failings so openly to <laughs> others. Failings, you say? Failings? Yours, madam, is the failing. You fail to conceal from me the fact that you meant nothing whatever by describing me as kind. All you wanted was slyly to wheedle out of me a piece of information, which, as it happens, I see no reason for withholding. You are dressed in the colors of Clan Topaz. It's obvious why you are here. Yes, this is today's meeting place of the clans. Then this is your ancient forum? It is. And Lord Kovar will be back at any moment to initiate the proceedings. It's a bit of a ruin, isn't it? It's a total ruin. Why mince words? There is no roof. The walls collapsed centuries ago. One must watch carefully where he walks, lest he sprain an ankle. But why? Isn't it a bit strange? Lord Kovar is holding such an important meeting in a place like this? Lord Kovar is my brother-in-law. Everything he does is reasonable. As it happens, all his important councils are held here. Our ancient forum may be a ruin, but in it have been enacted the most vital laws in the long history of Clan Amethyst. The influence of tradition is so potent at this spot that we count on it to guide us in every cornerstone deliberation. The feeling is a bit oppressive. It doesn't seem to welcome our traditions. Does your lord... Kovar. Kovar. Open to the cooperation proposed lately by our Lord Christar. Christar. 
if Lord Kovar, my brother-in-law, has the wisdom to be guided by me, he will recognize and accept that your Lord, able leader though he showed himself in war, with our assistance, of course, has thrown both caution and common sense to the four winds. <gasps> I see. Well, we are here to see to his accommodations in the town. Perhaps we shall meet again. Good day to you, sir. Oh, what a dry wind. <laughs> Cooperation, vultures all. No one would talk such nonsense if we weren't nurturing ulterior motives. <clears throat> I've asked you to meet me here before the hour agreed on for our formal convention. It seemed to me wise for us three to consider our colleague's proposals calmly and dispassionately, free from the influence of his, uh, how shall I put it, his somewhat exuberant nature. Oh, I agree. It's never easy to make reasoned judgments when the mind is fevered by prejudiced emotions. Let us go over this proposed peace treaty then before Lord Christar comes. One. People and goods may henceforth pass freely across all clan boundaries. Oh, what's the man saying? Are we to open our borders to mass migration? Wait, friend, let us hear him out. Two, customs taxes shall no longer be levied for any purpose whatsoever. Oh, this is wonderful indeed. The more revenues we sacrifice, no doubt, the richer we become. <laughs> Three, the buildup of armaments shall henceforth and forever be suspended. <laughs> Well, the man's thought of everything. Give up major sources of revenue. Give up our national security. Well, perhaps we can get our soldiers to support themselves by taking up knitting. Hmm? Four, all military training shall be suspended. Needed only that. Only those forces shall continue to exist as may be necessary for purposes of maintaining law and order. Well, I suppose we could always muscle up our police forces. Five, there shall be a league of all clans, the decisions of which shall be binding on everyone. Oh, good Lord, he's asking us to forsake our national sovereignty. <laughs> Six, this league of all clans shall be supported by a tax levied on every clan according to its own capacity to pay. Enough, for God's sakes, enough! There's more. Oh, and, and now having stripped us of other income, how does Lord Christar expect us to pay this tax? I have it. We'll go into the sign painting business. Hmm? <laughs> we can announce to the people of the other clans, come in. Now, shall we write that with one exclamation mark over two or three? Come right in, take whatever you like. We'll even help you to carry it away. Oh, and here's a fund-raising idea. We might charge them a slight fee in helping them with the uh, transportation. I get the impression that neither <laughs> of you like our brother Kristoff's proposals. Like them? I love them. They take me right back to my days of happy innocence in the nursery. Look, I have no desire to offend Lord Christar, but it does seem to me that, well, uh, some modifications might happen to this document. It is only a first draft. 
I am pleased to hear the voice of moderation. I would think that Christar would like improvements after all, Kovar. You are a far better writer than he. The important thing will be to protect our interests, but always in the name of peace and brotherhood. I see, yes. <laughs> Bow to principle while pleading practicality. Exactly. We must make our principles seem practical. It won't do to alienate our subjects. The name of the game, my friends, is and always has been power. And power where governments are concerned means power over the people. We could, of course. One of the best ways to, to attain this power is to parade our case as though it represented the power of the masses. Mm. We'll appeal to now, the... we could do that by bending them to our will by force, but the wisest course, it seems to me, is to present our case in such a way as to make them believe that the ideas are theirs. With enough propaganda, we can make those <laughs> ideas theirs. We'll appeal to their self-interest. We might also be able to convince them of the dangers of excessive generosity. Nor should that be so difficult. One can make black itself appear white. <laughs> All you have to do is flash strong lights in their eyes. Oh, I understand. <laughs> make sweeping promises. Please excuse the intrusion, my lords, but where is Lord Christar? We thought to find him here. Uh, we're waiting for him that our convention might begin. Oh. Well, in that case, may we await his coming? Uh, well, <laughs> you see, we have uh, important things to discuss with him when he arrives. Ooh. Is there something you wanted? I can assure you, we are competent to speak on his behalf. <laughs> oh, well, it's about our daughter. Rumor has it, she imagines she's in love with a common soldier from Clan Azure. <gasps> We wanted to urge our Lord Christar, in your presence, to write provisions into the peace treaty that would prevent our enemies from in any way presuming upon the generosity of our united clan. What luck is this? Two from his own close retinue. Rest assured, dear lady, that the great Lord Christar has no wish to penalize our victorious peoples. Just man that he is, it would never be his intention to make you suffer for the wrongs of others. Rest assured, your daughter shall only marry someone worthy of her. Oh, why, thank you, my Lord Kovar. We couldn't imagine that this peace treaty would be a means of inflicting suffering on us. And our daughter, if she could but realize it now. Clan Azure stands already accused of heinous crimes enough against you, yeah. against your family, your people, against all our peoples. The peace treaty will be a just document. There can be no justice without punishment. Your words are an enormous relief, my lord. How indeed can we build securely for our future if we destroy our foundations in the past? The old ways deserve our reverence. <gasps> Am I late? You all look as though the meeting had begun. <laughs> oh, no, my friend. Uh, we arrived only moments ago. We've just been chatting idly here, awaiting your arrival. Good. I see you have read my proposal. 
Well, let's get started then. But before we begin, per- permit me to summon from beneath that massive oak where I left them, Lord Antar and Lady Andala, his gracious wife. I brought to you this day Clan Azure's recently appointed rulers. Please, listen to their case. If after hearing it, you are convinced that Clan Azure's attitude has changed, that, in fact, most of their people never wanted war, but were coerced into it against their will, drawn unsuspectingly into a hurtling current from which, after years, they still found no escape, perhaps then you'll be willing to hear the unprecedented plan that I propose. My lord and lady, may I present your fellow rulers? You know their names, though perhaps not their faces. This, then, is Lord Kovar of Clan Amethyst. My lord. My lord. My lady. My lord. This Lady Voltar of Clan Emerald. My... Here, finally, is Lord Loftar of Clan Ruby. My lord. My lord, my lady. (laughs) At last, after centuries, our clans meet, drawn together by the dream of unity. I've told them all of your coming. Will you explain to them the circumstances under which you lived these recent years and what your will is for the future of Clan Azure? Friends, we are honored. Few there be who, distant from Stolar's rule, are aware of the weighty burden under which we groaned. Lord Stolar was a monster, but you know that well. Those who spoke out against him suffered death. We too denounced him with righteous fire. Our case, however, was such that Stoller never dared to execute us. We were too highly placed by birth and also in the public eye. Instead, he cast us into a reeking dungeon, there to live with marauding rats and murderers, with hunger, cold, and coarse indignity. After the war, we were discovered with other so-called traitors, released, then welcomed with shouts of joy and reinstated in our former roles. At last, with acclaim, our people made us their new rulers. Our plan now is to undo the endless harms that Stoller did. Emerging from our prison, we were horrified to learn of the great numbers of our countrymen, though never cast into dark dungeons, suffered equally, many far worse than we. If there's a special hell where rotting souls suffer more greatly than all the other damned, twisting in agony and shrieking, mercy, which never shall soothe their parched and aching brows. May Stolar's wretched residue like a sack of putrid grain be flung onto its red, reeking floors. My dear wife, what an anathema. If we ourselves hope for mercy, must not we too be merciful? Stoller's soul is not his tormented person. Within each man, however dark his deeds, dwells an unconscious angel. We must let God determine by what torturous path Stoller must climb to achieve at last his own high destiny. Meanwhile, Andala, ours is the task to live in goodness and to make amends for all that In evil's name, he did to destroy not men's bodies only, but their minds, their faith in life, 
in God and in themselves. My dearest husband, forgive me, please, I beg you. Our dearest, our only son is dead. Slain by Lord Stolar's brutal thugs. Our sufferings have been too great to be forgotten lightly, yet in my heart I know that forgiveness is the way to true freedom and to inner peace. Your attitude, Lord on Antar, is beyond reproach. Yet Lady Andala's hatred is, I must admit, rather more after more my own heart. <laughs> it gives me hope that in future our two peoples may be friends, for it makes you human. Sir, I'd rather be defined by my potential for improvement than by my weaknesses. The bitterness I feel is my shame. It is not my pride. Dear wife, your words touch me deeply. For happiness is possible only through the forgetting of ourselves. We find true happiness when our sympathies expand and when, by giving, we forget ourselves. I pray that the future of our peoples grow and flower in a soil of love. Lord Christa, we can't find enough words to praise the treaty you've written. Truly, it is inspired. I'm so glad you think so. The important thing is not who wrote it, but the countless thousands who will benefit from its adoption. Indeed, yes. And the important thing, as you say, is not who wrote it. After all, good generals aren't expected to be experts with the pen. The important thing is that this peace treaty be worded properly. I'd like to hear the changes you suggest. Oh, nothing major. I'm afraid, however, that with laudable soldierly bluntness, you've uh, managed to trample on a few toes. Please, dear friend, if you can help our cause by rephrasing my words in the generous spirit, which is our true intention, I shall be grateful to you. Just so. You see, to demand of anyone deeds for which he has not mentally or emotionally prepared is to impose hardship on him. We must take our people's feelings into account. This I believe I have sought to do. One moment, please. Of what benefit is it to comfort the body if the mind which rules the body is distressed? A healthy mind is of vital importance to the health of the entire organism. It is even true to say that the brain is more important than all the other organs of the body. The head is placed over the body to rule it, and by ruling to keep it well. The same is true also self-evidently so of the body politic. The treaty you've written has been addressed to the body, but not to the head. But surely in this case the head recognizes that what I've written is for the good of the whole body. <laughs> Such I know is your bluff, soldierly intention. We honor it. We applaud it. But have you considered how we, on whom a whimsical destiny has imposed the distasteful duty of ruling our people, how we, I say, can implement your ideas. Why, of course, I've considered it. After all, I'm a clan ruler myself. <laughs> but have you considered our feelings? You see, you've had all the glory of winning this war. 
But what of us who stayed behind and who must somehow avoid looking inglorious in the aftermath of the war? You have your victory to hold up before your people while they suffer the privations of this costly struggle. We other rulers, however, have only its ruinous aftermath. I refer to what unthinking people, throwing their cares for the future to the winds, hail today as the peace. What are you saying? I'm saying, all three of us are saying, that someone must pay for this devastation. By my reckoning, Clan Azure, the entire cause, let me remind you, of our tragic suffering, finds itself in defeat even more devastated than are we. Too many of their young men were killed, especially in the final battle. They committed themselves throughout this war to a massive gamble that they would win, following which they plan to bleed us white. Now that they've lost, they have fewer resources than even we to rebuild their shattered country. Now then, as I read your treaty, it will become accepted as necessary to use our resources to rebuild Clan Azure. You suggested that we bleed ourselves white, in fact, for their benefit, just as they planned to do to us. You want to revive and implement their own dastardly program. My brother, can't you see that if all the clans are strong, we'll all benefit? <sighs> my friend, my brother, don't be too hasty. What I'm saying is only that we should not depart from the time-honored dictates of justice. Let Clan Azure pay, I say, as in any civilized nation, men are called upon to honor their debts. Very well. I accept your point that they must honor their debt honorably and responsibly. Indeed, we want to do so in every way. Clan Azure hopes to stand shoulder to shoulder with all the, with all the four clans, responsible not only to its own people, but to all the inhabitants of Crystal Isle. Admirable. Admirable. And how do you propose to go about assuming this responsibility? Gradually, as we grow stronger, we mean to help you to rebuild your towns as we rebuild our own. We mean to accept voluntarily an honorable recognition of our debt to you the burden of helping your economies out of any profits we earn. Gradually, you say. Naturally, my lord. We cannot pay out of funds that do not as yet exist. Voluntarily, you say. What is offered voluntarily, however, can just as voluntarily be retracted. Even this word gradually that you've proposed cannot but arouse the suspicions of any thoughtful person. Just how gradually do you mean? Shall our children's children's children see the beginnings, perhaps, of the vaunted repayment of your debt? My lord, without trust, there cannot be even the glimmerings of hope for a lasting peace. Wisely spoken. In your discernment, I perceive clearly how we won the war. Indeed, there must be trust. Then shall we not trust? Trust is possible only when people are proven trustworthy. Anything less than that is naivete. And naivete ends in the destruction of all trust. 
plainly speaking, we can't afford to wait. Our countries lie in ruins. It is now that we must rebuild them, not uncounted generations in the future. If Clan Azure is to help us in this undertaking, they must help us now. We want to, my lord. How do you suggest we do so? Suggest? I'm not suggesting anything. You'll pay because we'll take from you what we want. If you can't pay us in goods or money, you'll pay us with your people. They'll come and work for us, serve us in our homes, without pay, but in back-breaking labor. But, well, that's... slavery. Call it what you like. Words can be made to serve an infinity of different ends. This isn't repayment you're asking, it's punishment. Wait a few years only, and by the treaty I've proposed, you'll derive vastly greater benefits than you could possibly squeeze out now or ever derive in future from a land that remains devastated. Referring once more to this peace treaty, as you've so quaintly called it, the feelings of your fellow rulers are hurt also by others of your stipulations. You've asked us to give up important revenues in customs taxes. Apart from that income, do you seriously intend to ask our artisans to welcome the threat of cheap foreign goods flooding their marketplaces? Clan Azure's goods, since their country will be impoverished, will be especially cheap. Would it be fair to reward them for the sufferings they've caused by giving them such an advantage? According to your plan, all people should be allowed to cross all boundaries, all clan boundaries at will. Can't you see that, that poverty will thus end up chasing wealth? The people of Clan Azure will pour into our countries, stealing jobs from those to whom they belong by right. Indeed. Slavery is the best solution to cheap labor. With slaves to serve us, our own people will be free to pursue their lives with the dignity they've so long merited. Are you so blind that even tomorrow is a mist before your eyes? What would the fruits be from such damaged seeds? It would be bitterness, hatred, vengeance, and eventually, inevitably, war. You've written... That there should be no further buildup of armaments and no further military training? How do you expect us to protect ourselves against Clan Azure's reprisals? And how do you expect to ensure that all the clans receive all that's coming to them? You've written that there should be a league of all clans. Well, this I judge to be an excellent idea. It will help us to keep an eye on one another. Clan Azure, of course, must be excluded from representation and the tax. Why place this burden on our innocent population? Obviously, it is Clan Azure that must pay the tax. Thus, they will be included in your noble concept of clan unity. My brother! Please don't feel that we've rejected your no. peace treaty. <laughs> Oh, true, we've altered it a little bit here and there, but don't you see, in essence, it remains unchanged. From the start, our commitment has been to the principles that you so beautifully outlined for us yesterday. We agreed with you in principle. We still agree. It is a principle of ethics that the many should not be made to suffer for the 
few. From this self-evident truth, it is follows logically that the few may have sometimes to suffer for the many. What of it if one clan out of five be penalized? The harmony, peace, and brotherhood of which you spoke so eloquently yesterday shall be all the greater for these few small changes that we've made in the rough draft you wrote for us. Changes on which I must add, we insist. The wealth of a people depends on the prosperity of its rulers. I need hardly add, and in reassuring you of this, I know that you too will feel comforted that the changes we've made will make all of us rich, including you. Your plan, my dear fellow, how could you have been so blind, would have impoverished us all. As the rulers are, so will the people be. Our clans will all have grown poor according to the terms of your treaty, while Clan Azure flourished to wage war on us again, the next time perhaps defeating us utterly. With the alterations we've introduced, however, our people too will grow rich someday. Let us leave. There is nothing for us here but further humiliation. Leave? Well, you leave my brother, if you so wish, but don't speak of leaving with these, our enemies. Their freedom is now forfeit. God, take these criminals away. Place them in chains. So shall we ever treat the enemies of civilization and of all human decency. I go to my own country. Well done, my friend. Let us hope only that we have not opened wide the windows of our homes to a hurricane.
I didn't expect to see you here. I've heard that your proposal for a peace treaty has been rejected. <laughs> rejected is too mild a word. Jeered at, mocked, ridiculed. Its author treated like a toddling child. No problem so long as he played the unsophisticated games of war, but a threat to civilization itself if he dared to think on those occasions when grown men practiced the subtle arts of government. The treaty I've submitted has been shredded, its remnants flung disdainfully to the winds. How is it possible? Are all our inspirations then but empty smiles born of wishful dreaming? Can words that ring to the heavens in bell-like tones of truth be nothing but glass tinkling? The foolish prattles of children excited by a game. Did I hear rightly as I was coming here? Have your plans for a peace treaty been thwarted by your fellow rulers? Thwarted, good hermit, and much more. Discredited, discarded. Their very virtues turned against them, as if these constituted their outstanding flaws. I am not surprised. Meritorious changes seldom owe their adoption to those granite public figures whose office and authority derive from fixed traditions. Improvements come when there's nothing left to protect save one's own integrity. And when such persons are discredited or thrown into prison, what then? Truth, my lord, is an exacting master. It tests men in the fire either to temper thereby or else to destroy the steely sharpness of their resolution. Know this, however, for a certainty. Truth alone is. All else is mere froth. Sooner or later, depending on men's constancy, the truth must emerge victorious. The mountains fall and continents, disintegrating, plunge into the greedy oceans. Truth is eternal. It can never die. Show me its victories. Are they hiding smugly somewhere among the stars? Here on solid earth, how often sacrifice, far from being rewarded, is whipped and driven, forced to concede still further sacrifices. I'm a bluff soldier, Father. I demand some visible proof that high ideals are sometimes honored by universal law and not forever whipped up and made a laughing stock. My son, was not your victory in this war against odds that at the time seemed overwhelming? Was not that victory proof sufficient that where the will is committed firmly to the cause of truth, it must prevail at last? Are you wondering if you've gone wrong? Where have I gone wrong? 
You have not gone wrong, my son. Not yet. You are merely going wrong. Your will is faltering. But my plans have been cast onto a funeral pyre. They are now but ashes. The most now that can be done with them is to enshrine them in an urn and pray for their departed spirit. Is any man a god that you must bow to him and accept his decrees as commandments carved in stone? You've been thwarted, Lord Christar. You've not been overthrown. I think I understand you, Holy Father. Oh, forgive my presumption, but is not our present disappointment but a sign that we must make our ideals more practical? I thought my ideals were practical. Practical in their conception, yes, but not in their implementation. You as a general must know this truth as well as anyone. You are suffering now, but pain normally is the result of wishing that things were other than they are. To cherish high ideals is the first step to high attainments, as important as the second step. To work with things, not as you think they ought to be, but as they are. As long as you live, never say that you've been defeated. Even in death, if you cling to truth, then truth in your own soul as well must be victorious at last. You give me hope, Father. What I must do is... Make my concepts live, not on paper, but in the marketplace. I must win the consent, not of people's thoughts merely, but of their hearts, their consciousness, their entire being. We must inspire them to embrace these truths by first living them ourselves. Only then can we expect the clans to abide by written treaties. I was afraid my parents might be following me, but I have eluded them. Oh, Starlon, what an evil fate, twisting like a tornado, has bent down and swept us up from our dreams. Lord Cristar, what could have happened? My Starlon is a fugitive, and he knows it not. If in all innocence he finds himself seized by the enemy, yes, the enemy. For whosoever obstructs true justice shall be my enemy from this day forth, whatever the color of their clothes. But if in innocence he finds himself captured, then I swear it by all that I hold holy, I will fight for his release, though it be against my own flesh and blood. Starlin! My beloved, we've been betrayed. Together, let us flee to the mountains. There we'll live on roots and berries, dearest. Though we dress in rags, I will never leave you. What's this you're saying? The peace treaty has been vetoed. All Clan Azure is declared culpable. My mother told me, gloatingly, this afternoon that you, Starlon, may be sent to prison. Together, let us flee. Of what use? In any case, a world where justice is held ransom by blatant selfishness and greed. Can virtue thrive where justice is despised? Can justice flourish where virtue is forgotten? Let us forsake these clans as sane people would turn their backs on a mad mob. The thought of escape 
is tempting. Yet as I think of the suffering with which my clan must now be faced, I'm torn in two, love on one side, honor on the other. Could we preserve our love, my sweetest, when paying for it with our honor? Oh, that's so great an opportunity. Be sacrificed to vengefulness and greed. Cannot people see that all the clans depend on one another? What is song if it lack poetry? And what is poetry if it lack a melodic sense? There's our solution. There's how we'll win the people to our cause. The five clans belong together, like the five fingers of one hand, of which any finger by itself would be incomplete. What would dance be without music? Dance needs also the help of poetry and song for clarity. And were it not for graceful bodily rhythms, would it not be difficult to bring rhythm into poetry and music? Their beat would lack grounding. And what would these three, dance, poetry, and music, be without philosophy? People who leap and fling themselves about without reason are judged themselves bereft of reason. <laughs> music that shreds the silken veil of peace, or that fans the fires of pain, or that heaves, shudders, moans, and shouts, all these without a purpose, is no more music than frogs are nightingales. <laughs> Poetry that says nothing is like wind whistling through the cracks in a rough cabin. No work that has not its roots in truth can long endure the hurricanes of change. Well, the arts, too, are essential to philosophy, lest truths be placed on view like corpses in a mortuary, <laughs> having shape and size but lacking life. Without joy, finally, yes, and merriment, what Meaning could we ascribe to life that had more vital purpose than a bandage on a wound? Yet joy should also have a dancer's grace. Aspiration like a soaring melody. The healing power of poetry well conceived. Joy without a sense of higher purpose is like drunken jollity, muddled and confused. It's laughter like the barking of hyenas that rejoice most there where they smell death. As the flowers need bees to propagate their seeds, and as the floral sweetness supplies bees with their nourishment, so does every clan depend on every other. By this truth shall we convince the lords that the peace treaty is a necessity. Why so, my lord? The other lords are not concerned with truth. It is not them we must convince. Yet, from this war, like green shoots rising from a forest floor of ashes, a great good may come. The clans, when allied together, became friends. Now they understand that the clothes we wear, the talents we've developed, do not alter the fact that we are human beings first, members of one human family. Formerly, men lived in the thought that governments decided everything, they were ruled, and even if they grumbled, they obeyed or had compliance forced upon them. Power came with possession. From now on, power will come with knowledge. Possession is passive. It cannot long resist the onslaught of fresh information. That is why power has ever sought to subjugate, not only by force of arms, but above all, by imposing ignorance on the common man. 
That day has ended now. The lords may burn the peace treaty, but the very incense rising from its flames will waft to distant corners of Crystal Isle, inspiring people everywhere to affirm the peace their hearts crave. It is what I first told the lords. We must address this issue first in principle. Peace is a state of mind. It cannot be produced merely by the written law. From the love for peace alone can follow that stability which laws for centuries have proclaimed yet remained forever impotent to enforce. That is what I must do. Like an eagle, soar and swoop. I'll live in the mountains as you urged, but descend at night to gather up those who scorn to live in slavery. United then will inspire those whom bonds in the cities keep from joining us to seek their strength within themselves. I'll go with you. Being free, it will be easy for me to move about, travel to other clans, and, and stiffen the will of men everywhere to live by this lofty truth, as well as to protect themselves from tyranny, just as during an epidemic we isolate ourselves from noxious germs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll preach love, not hatred. For fear is the rank infection by the spread of which ruthless tyrants have for centuries imposed their might. We'll marshal a new army, one carrying not weapons, but a new belief. From this day forth, I will use my skills not to defeat, but to unite men's hearts. Go to your clans, each of you. Seek out whoever hopes to see clouds of a new dawn blush hopefully in the skies above Crystal Island. Gather those people quietly until... As our strength increases, we adjudge the time ripe to declare boldly our united faith. Sweetest, I have a song written in the slowly fading twilight. As though wakeful, I sat dreaming of this long-awaited moment. May I sing it to you? Dearest, of course. Meetings were made for singing, especially when two hearts are conjoined in love. Two souls were conceived at night Ere stars in the sky gave light Ere planets were born Ere hearts could know scorn Together they danced in God's sight. Of pathways of radiance they flew. Before them bright stars they strewed. Deep seas and vast plains, men's joys and men's pains, all these in perfection they their love called them down from the skies to live here on earth in disguise. They seem mortal now, yet remembering their vow, they ever maintain their soul ties. Dearest, song is beautiful. You like it? 
I am so happy. I don't know that my own thoughts waft downward from such lofty regions, yet surely they aspire to the same heights. I, too, have written you a poem. I have no objection to poetry, I assure you. What girl wouldn't want to hear her lover express his love for her in rhyme? The words I've written have merit, if any, not for their beauty, but for the fact that my sincerity while writing them burned ever fiercely as I struggled to enclose it in some proper form. Dearest, when I think of thee, heaven opens and I see shafts of light upon the earth. All then seems of noble birth. Kindness then appears divine. Human error then benign. Goodness rules the universe. Men a higher love rehearse. Thoughts of you, my peace assure. Calm my heart and make it pure. Even so, your actions screen all in life that's base or mean. Dearest, when I think of thee, heaven opens and I see shafts of light upon the earth, all that seems of Shafts of light upon the earth, all that seems of noble birth. Kindness then appears divine, human error than benign. Goodness rules the universe, man Love rehearse, goodness rules the universe, man a higher love rehearse. Thoughts of you, my peace assure, calm my heart and make it pure. Even so, your actions scream. All in life that's base or mean, even so your actions scream. All in life that's base or mean. May we live our lives in service to all mankind and in love with all that is good, true, and beautiful. Well, it was warfare, and yet not a war. For the battle, as you know, was fought with our love for peace and for the determination that force no longer commanded our respect. When cudgeled by our ruler's soldiers, we responded not with fear, but gazed calmly into their eyes 
and willed them to understand the error of brutality. One by one, and soon by scores they joined our ranks, until those remaining fled away in fear, lest we, in our swelling ranks, destroy them with a fury equal to that with which they had tried to destroy us. We seized Kovar, Loftar, and Voltar, the authors of this tyranny. Then, lest ever again on Crystal Isle they sow seeds of discord, suspicion, avarice, and hate, we stripped them of their power to influence weak minds, susceptible to the whisperings of fear. In short, we shoved them off in a boat, without oars, <laughs> in ocean currents strong enough to carry them a great distance. We gave them enough food to survive. In another week or so, they'll beach on some far-off shore. There, to live among men as strangers, just as they would have had us be strangers to each other. Oriel and I joined together with others of like mind and started our own small community, dedicated to the high ideals that inspired the clans to bring about this peace. This consciousness spread through the island and beyond, inspiring men everywhere to affirm the peace their hearts crave. It was a victory of consciousness over brutish force, and thus has proved the power of focused thought over heavy but insensate matter. Peace. May it flow out like a gentle tide, softening men's hearts and turning them to kindness, cooperation, and tranquility. May the shepherd's distant note waft on peaceful breezes to the towns, freeing men's feelings from the urgency of grasping need and recalling them to their own soul simplicity. Life reflects back to us our attitudes. May our people, by their peacefulness of heart, bring true peace at last to Crystal Island. our hearts love peace give us our smiles rays of thy presence within us light that all strife reconciles Amen
work a miracle. Let's all join hands together. Life on earth is so wonderful. When people laugh and dance and struggle as friends, then all their dreams achieve their ends. Many hands make a miracle. People climbing together. Soon we reach to the Every mountain peak we hazard as one We'll lift our hands to welcome the sun Many hands make a miracle Let's all join hands together Life on earth is so wonderful When people laugh and dance and struggle as friends Then all their dreams achieve their ends Many hands Well, we couldn't have done it without the masters and without Swami, believe me. And all our clans fought bravely. <laughs> Thank you all. God bless you. <laughs> if you'd like to come up and say hi to the cast, feel free. If anyone wants to grab a mask, feel free. And... Thank you all. Have a good evening. And God bless you all. The end of SRW, but tomorrow's Sunday service. We'll see you all there. Oh, and the, oh, to the online audience, thank you all. God bless you, too. Thank you for, come, for joining us tonight. Oh, of course. Sound crew, lighting, costumes, video. All the colonies, the colony leaders, I'm telling you, we had so much support for this. We thank you all. Thank you so much.